my full Legos tattooed and Star Wars stuff. So if that makes you sad, I'm sorry. Cut it off. <laughs> Cut it off. <laughs> Cut it off. It's just a flesh wound. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent-matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want, to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you go check them out at the show's link, that's hired.com slash adventures in Angular, you can get double their normal hiring bonus. So instead of $300, you get $600 for signing up at our link. That's hired.com slash adventures in Angular. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Adventures in Angular this week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Alyssa Nichol. Hey, hey. John Papa. Good afternoon. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Shane Boyer. Hey, guys. Shane, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, Shane, I work at uh, Microsoft. I'm a senior uh, developer advocate on the Azure team. Second time on the show here, so it's uh, good to be back and talking with you guys. Nice. I think I know somebody else who's a senior developer advocate at Microsoft. <laughs> I, I don't know you... anybody like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know a junior. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They only advocate to junior developers. Got it. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, so, so, Shane, what were you on the last time for? I don't know. Is this, we talked about uh, backbone. I think it was backbone knockout. Um, no, it was jQuery. <laughs> I think it was Cobol actually. Yeah. No, oh no, 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 no. It, it was a VB VB three. Iron Ruby. So we were talking about uh, TypeScript and making kind of um, how it makes it a little easier for kind of the .NET community to get uh, get a handle on Angular. Well, you must have uh, done a good job if we brought you back. Well, I would hope so. Yeah. So the topic for today is Angular with Azure or Angular and Azure. We'll, we'll name it one of those things. I, I'm kind of curious because Azure to me is kind of a, a back end. And I guess you probably have some kind of data store thing, kind of like Firebase, but maybe not. I'm not that familiar with Azure. Do you want to talk about some of the offerings there and why our listeners are going to be like, oh, great, that yeah, if if anybody's been kind of looking at Azure as a whole, I think there's kind of a, and and this is kind of my words. I think there's been a bit of a, a connotation or relationship that in order for you to use Azure, you have to use .NET, and that's really not not the case. There's a, a very large amount of Azure that's that's running Linux. There's over 
I don't know, 170 or so different types of products right now that, that Azure offers. It's not just web, it's just not databases. So how does that relate to kind of the Angular community? There's no SQL databases. You can run Postgres, you can run MongoDB. We have a, you know, there's a new offering called Cosmos, which is a highly scalable NoSQL database that has some, some great interfaces for Firebase-like capabilities for Angular. There's uh, Azure Functions, which is a whole new serverless offerings that's comparable to Lambda and, you know, Google Cloud Functions uh, type uh, type offerings too, which is, you know, very useful for web front ends. So it's more than just uh, .NET and more than just VMs and uh, infrastructure type of, uh, of, of offerings when it comes to cloud service. Did you say Firebase Lite? Like, L-I-K-E. Like. Oh, L-I-K-E. Like. Ah. So yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of things that we can do from you know, using uh, spot type applications from, you know, deploying it to the web front end. There's, you know, putting your apps in a, uh, a Docker container and pushing it to um, uh, the the Azure Container Service and scaling those apps, and then also using uh, the backends uh, from you know DevOps to uh, building those applications and pushing them into uh, the Azure infrastructure, and then also uh, using the backend database uh, capabilities and offerings that uh, the platform offers too. So the, one of the things you just tripped over there with the whole, you know, put your app in Docker, like this is new for our audiences, and, and it's certainly... I'll just say that because it's relatively new for me. The idea of putting my app in a Docker container, and we're not talking the back end only, right? Well, yeah, you're talking about just the front end itself. Just the web application is is putting that into a Docker container and then deploying that container itself or that image to a Linux instance or Linux web app um, instance on Azure. But because I think of my Angular app as largely largely static, except for of course when it reaches out static assets, except of course when it reaches across for data to some data API, which might not be in that container. Well, I don't know. Tell me, tell me what why it's a good thing to use Docker for this kind of thing. Well, if let's say you like to run, I don't know, Nginx for your your front-end services, uh, your front-end application to serve that actual uh, Angular. So you can't, for instance, you can't just throw, you know, ng build using the CLI, do an ng build, get the dist folder, and then throw that up to you know, a web application service like IIS or or Node, and then and have that uh, application just serve because then you don't have your deep linking and things like that are actually going to work for SEO, right? So if I want to be able to package in something that will help me out, like uh, maybe an express server, which requires Node.js, and I need to put in some some routing to handle that deep linking, um, I can package all of that up into a nice container and then be able to th- push that up into a cloud and control all of the aspects that happen within that particular application and help that scale and not have to worry about the underlying infrastructure, like how many servers do I run? What type of server do I run it on? Um, is it, you know, Ubuntu 16.04? Is it, is it IIS? You know, that's okay. So it's the app that I wrote plus the server uh, that serves that app. The, yeah, the web server, yes. Yeah. The static right. the content. And you can choose the base that it runs on. So Docker has those uh, images in Docker Hub. So I can say, I know I want to run on, you know, Node 6.0x or whatever it is, because 8 just came out and I'm not tested on 8. So I can control those 
those capabilities um, inside of that container. And every time I rebuild it or every time I pull it down, it's always going to have that same settings. Nice. Hmm. Yeah, what this, really, what this really helps, Shane, right, is if I'm hearing you right, is a lot of times I've had this problem where I've deployed an Angular application or any JavaScript application. And I wrote my Angular stuff, everything's cool, and I wrote an Express server somewhere, and I made assumptions. I made assumptions that when I send my Node server, which because that's what I write it in, to some cloud provider that, or even just to a local web server that I have, to that the version of Node I'm using is the same when it's on that server. It's using the same versions of other products that are on that machine, and it's got everything set up the way my machine is set up. Whereas with, that's probably a bad assumption to make most of the time, right? And then Docker, I can actually ensure that everything I have locally here is the same thing that's going to happen over wherever I push it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's basically the, it takes that concept and, and you'll hear this in many Docker presentations is it's the works on my machine is actually true now, right? So I can set up that entire environment on my machine saying, I want the node server, I want node server, uh, the way I run it with the settings, with the, you know, version of Node I want, I've built it, I've tested it all out myself on my machine. Then when I take that and I push it to, you know, if it's Azure or Heroku or AWS or wherever it is, it's going to run exactly the same on all of those providers. And I don't have to worry about it breaking as we've all experienced, like, hey, it works on my machine, but when I push it to production or to QA, it doesn't because now we have 12 servers instead of two instead of the one, you know, Mac OS X that I built it on. Mm -hmm. So it takes away those complexities when it comes to testing something locally versus in production. So Shane, besides Docker, besides deploying an app like, like that, let's say I don't care about Docker. Uh, you know, maybe we haven't gone there. Or you like Word and you haven't tried it and you're just not as interested in it yet. I'm putting Word's name on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, say, yeah, I want to run in a cave. I, I heard I some hope that he'll be... see the light. There's got to be other things too, right? We, I know we know this answer, but what other things does Azure or does the cloud bring to the table for Angular developers besides Docker? Yeah, so the the, the other thing that, that that I've you know dove into recently is the the whole serverless offerings that are out there. So this is kind of a, a good comparison to what we just spoke about, right? I have to worry about building a node server to serve my app. I have to worry about, uh, and I say my app, maybe it's a backend. So I've got an API I have to build to serve the data. And I have to worry about it hitting the, the backends and uh, et cetera. So if you have a simple API, you've written it in Node, and it's got maybe just some static data. Let's just call it lookup values. I have to worry about building all of the infrastructure behind it. And then also going through the pain, if you will, of building and deploying that to the servers. Serverless takes a lot of that away, if not all of that away. Hold it, Shane. Buzz, you know, buzzword bingo. Serverless? <laughs> I was going to say, all the people who didn't roll their eyes at Docker just rolled their eyes at serverless. Oh, man, right? <laughs> yeah, that means I just wish that it were so, and bam, Alakazam, I've got... What do you mean by serverless? Tell, so tell the world. We should name this this particular episode Buzzword Angular. Buzzwords for Angular <laughs> yeah. uh, developers, <laughs> right? So yeah, it, it is the new term that's out there. The new buzzword that's out there is serverless. Well, you know, take the, the wool off of everybody's eyes. There are servers underneath. You know, let's not be silly here. But I don't have to worry about managing the infrastructure or managing the types of servers. But the idea is that I can just write the actual function 
Uh, and that function is maybe an API endpoint that says, get my customers, right? So my function will actually return the data to maybe my, my controller, my service that I built in Angular. And what that means is I just have to write the JavaScript or for, uh, for Azure, we support Python and C Sharp and another uh, number of other languages. Java is coming as well, where I can just write the code in the portal or in uh, deployed to GitHub and we'll push it to the portal. But it's just the code that is responsible for that one particular endpoint. And it runs just that, uh, just that one function to return the data. But I don't have to worry about, do I need a VM? Do I need the, what OS do I need on there? Do I have to worry about patching or scaling even? So if you have an endpoint that is getting hammered because it's Black Friday and you're running an e-commerce store, uh, it will scale. And this is true of any of the cloud providers that are doing serverless. It will scale based on the capacity that, that it needs. So it's just nice to be able to just write the code and have uh, it return the data. It's also event-driven from a uh, capabilities perspective where it can handle image queues and message queues and things like that. But uh, primarily what I've been using it for is like an HTTP endpoint to return data to my to my front-end applications. But I don't have to worry about anything as far as the what type of server and OS I'm running underneath. Can I, so, can so I what, give an so example? What? Yeah, sure. Go. Because I'm, I'm using serverless setups for basically adding people to Slack channels. And so, you know, somebody hits the endpoint or you can call through the, there are a few other ways that you can hit APIs. I'm using AWS Lambda, but Azure Functions is a similar idea. So you hit the endpoint and then it looks up the couple of uh, values I gave it. So for example, the, the Slack chat, whatever you call it, team, and then the API key. And that's all stored securely on the server. And then it just does its thing. And then I've also seen that you can reach back into, you know, database systems and stuff like that within Azure and actually have it pull the data out. And so essentially what you're doing is you're having a small, isolated, simple endpoint that you're providing to your Angular app to either get stuff done or to get data back. Right. And, and the, the more important piece, too, is that the scalability of those endpoints. So serverless is... Uh, I'll call it scalability at the endpoint level. So when you're previously when you're writing APIs on the back end, we're typically concerned about scaling the entire API application. So all of the endpoints that are built within that API scale at the same level to where when you're writing the serverless functions or um, your or Azure functions, they will scale at just that particular API level. Yeah, that's nice because you just wind up paying a penny or two or whatever the price is every time somebody hits that endpoint. Yeah, you're strictly paid based on the usage, the consumption of it, which is a really nice effect instead of just you know something that's sitting there humming and you're not you're not doing anything. You're just still paying for it to, to just be there. So just so we know, don't fall into the, you know fall too in love. I mean, this is part of that buzzword bingo again: microservices trend. And the challenge for in that trend is that you can easily end up with a giant basket of uncoordinated services that, um, you know, how do you orchestrate there? It's great if it's something's completely autonomous, but so many of the things that we do depend upon other, a, a particular dance with some other services or with some other business processes. And so where to draw those boundaries and how to coordinate them all becomes the new challenge that you take on 
by virtue of spinning up all these different things running all over the place. Is, is that a fair statement or do That's you it. say, no, Ward, you're nuts? No, you're not nuts. And it's funny. I was at a conference this weekend and somebody was talking about microservices and they they used the, the famous poo emoji, right? So they had your monolith, which was represented by a large poo emoji. And breaking that up into a bunch of little poo emojis doesn't make it any different, right? <laughs> it, you you oh, totally lost I love your the poo image. emojis. Uh, I can see it now. It's like, right? so, <laughs> it's like whether you take one big one or you take a lot of little ones and leave them all over the floor. The, right. the, the big this one's episode, easier to walk around and not step in. <laughs> the sum is we're going to have to retitle this episode Life According to Shane Boyer. <laughs> I got one big steaming pile or just a lot of little steaming piles. Yeah, but the, it's true. I mean, just because you spread out your crap doesn't make it any better. Right? <laughs> I mean, so be careful as to how you get sucked into these buzzwords and these these kind of you know buzzword architectures is, you know, hey, I can – Instead of having all of my services themselves, so think of uh, the the previous buzzword of SOA, right? So this is SOA at a small level, right? So we would all write an API that was one big assembly or DLL that had all of our little calls in it. And then we'd write another one that had all, a bunch of little calls. And we'd package all that up and deploy it as one big monolithic thing. Well, now the idea is, well, what if I just break all those out into separate little things and deploy all those individually, but they're not doing anything different. You have to change your whole mindset as to how you're doing this to, towards point. It doesn't make any better or make it any better if you're not really changing how you orchestrate these things and putting them into the cloud. So it's not just a lift and shift, which is very important to, to point out that you have to be careful how you approach these microservices. And I think serverless is now being described as nano services. If something... Yes, that's a big, that's a big guy. I want Pico I, services. Uh, I think that's next. I think that's when we go with codeless. So I think that's <laughs> you know, and anybody who knows me well, and most of you do, know that I absolutely hate all buzzwords. I, I just feel like a lot of times we use them as a mask to talk about topics, which could be so much easierly explained if we just said what the heck they solve, right? And I think yeah. Shane explained what serverless solves for us. Um, it's like SOA before the the whole SOA thing. Or microservices is another term we talk about. Can we just say, hey, what? Let's have a lot of tiny services. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot. We don't really need these. But John, yeah, is so tiny, that's, is that's, tiny that's, bigger than micro? <laughs> but that's that's part A and part B of the attraction. At least this has been described to me, and it was early in your talk uh, there, Shane. Is that I absolutely minimize my thinking about or worrying about what it takes to to configure an, a server that's going to run whatever my service is. I, I focus all my energies on what the service is supposed to do. I wrap it in a little envelope and scribble on the envelope just what is necessary to tell the Azure Functions world how to run this darn thing and how to secure it. But I'm really, you know, most of my effort is focused on what the thing does. And that's very that alone is very powerful because so often we get we lose our way and trying to figure out how to create the environment to run it. It's just like, here it is. Go run it for me, Azure. Is that kind of, I mean, that, that seems to be part of the selling point. This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference 
hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current in a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers. Plus, we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Am I wrong about that? I think you're exactly right. I, the point of how does this all relate to kind of Angular developers or, or just front-end JavaScript developers in general is... You know, John and I typically we've we we'll sit down. We'll talk about let's do a demo, right? We'll we'll put together APIs, uh, front end data, uh, front end Angular apps, things like that. And we have to be very careful about the concept count of how many different types of things are we going to introduce when you're you're teaching teaching a group, uh, a workshop, or or a um, you know giving a talk at a conference, or even just a, a group of people at work. And if you say, hey, we're going to do Angular in the front end, we're going to do a Node Web API in the back end, and maybe MongoDB in the back end uh, for the data store. Well, there's three things. Oh, we got to set up a VM and Docker and, and all these things too. Then there's four, five, six, seven, eight. That is friction and, and too many things to learn, and you're going to lose everybody, right? So if we're saying we're just going to write an API in a serverless, Here's what serverless is. We introduce it. And then it's just JavaScript, right? Because that's what we're running on the front end. Great. That's two things we have to learn, right? I think that's a, that barrier to entry is, is gone for the, the front end JavaScript uh, community. I think yeah, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because when the first time I opened up like the Azure portal, I was a little overwhelmed by all the like blades and options and things you can do. And so was that, was I, that the Azure portal door you were just opening there, Alyssa? <laughs> <laughs> There's sound effects and all everyone you need to head there right now. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you if, I mean, is, is that what you would suggest for somebody brand new to Azure, but they want to do something like what, if they're on the site right now, like, what is your number one thing that you suggest they go and try out um, just to get comfortable with it? Yeah, I think Azure Functions is a is a very good uh, starting point for, you know, the Angular community for JavaScript front end developers. I think uh, it's again, that's in a language that they know. And there's uh, very easy for them to jump in, in into that area because you can choose JavaScript. There is TypeScript support coming as well. So uh, even better for you know, the Angular 2, 4, 25. I'm not sure what version we're at now. So there is there's that. And I think that just getting into those two things, you're like, this is just a back end. I understand it. I can connect it to a database if I want. I can just have a static file. It has a lot of the same concepts that you're used to as far as routing and proxies and things like that are all built into Azure Functions. It's very small concepts, but very relatable and understandable to the things that we're already doing in Angular. Okay, uh, very cool. On Azure Functions, I'm a little bit curious because I know that Lambda only supports version 4.3 of Node. And so if you go look up Node stuff, sometimes it's not quite right. Uh, mm -hmm. What what version of JavaScript or what JavaScript engine are you running? Is it Chakra and is it a certain version? Uh, I know that we are um, supporting, the, I believe it's the Chakra engine, but I know that uh, we're running ES5 and 
Yes, six support is also there. Okay. There's also hidden support for TypeScript, although yeah. it's not widely known or publicized, although I stumbled <laughs> across it. The super secret TypeScript support. Yeah. I, I, yes. was, Thank you. Thank you, Junior Evangelist. <laughs> yes. It was so the TypeScript support was announced at ServerlessConf, which I believe was in Texas a few, about a month ago. Like uh, April, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So they did show that. It but is it's like super preview, like super secret preview. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so that that's going to be coming with obviously some of the uh, good stuff from the docs team. We'll be producing uh, documents and templates and 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 great tooling uh, will come forth as time moves on for the, the TypeScript related stuff. And I don't know if you can use Node 8 or not, but I, I, I was using it today. You can use Node 6.9. That's for sure, because that's what I'm using with it. Yeah, I know Node Eight is now available on Azure on the Azure web on the App Service platform that was just uh, pushed out um, last week. So if you want to run Node in your app, web applications, yeah. And I just interviewed Chris Adamson from the the Azure Functions team, and he was talking about that too. So yeah, yeah. Chris is the PM on the Functions team. Yeah, he his episode will come out on my Angular story. So stay on the feed, oh, great. you'll get it. Yeah, Chris is great. So beyond, uh, uh, so there was a, a comment related to, uh, Alyssa, you said that when you jumped into the portal, you were like, holy cow, what are, <laughs> yeah. what are these blades? What are all of these things I need to click on? I didn't expect it to be that, like, just as you were saying, there's so many things you can do. Yeah, so interestingly enough, and then Chuck, I don't know if you've had anybody talking about, um, uh, you've had Steve Sanderson on before, I'm, I'm sure, um, mm -hmm. in one your podcast. So that uh, that portal itself is actually, I believe, we can claim this. Uh, it's one of the largest TypeScript applications and on the planet right now. It's like two to three million lines of TypeScript. Oh my gosh! So talk about large, scalable, maintainable web apps. That's all in TypeScript. But anyways, as far as it being kind of overwhelming, it is not your only option when it comes to uh, developing on the Azure platform and, and creating things. We have a, a, a very strong uh, CLI experience. So I know that um, John is very bullish on the Angular CLI uh, when it comes to developing applications. And the Azure CLI is uh, all cross-platform and you're able to uh, create web applications and, and uh, you know, VMs and, and all of the products that are, that are available on Azure using just a straight CLI experience and not have to go to the portal. Okay. Uh, so you would, would you suggest that like for people to get started and dive in with the CLI maybe easier? Is that your like advice for that? Um, if, if you are, if, if your foo is, is strong when it comes to the CLI to the command <laughs> experience and that's the experience that you enjoy, then certainly go, go forth and, and, and do that. If I know your that, CLI foo is strong. I love yeah, that. Yeah, I mean that's you know, for me there there are things where it makes perfect sense. If I want to create a new web application, uh in a web infrastructure, and it's as simple as, you know, AZ web create, you know, I pass a location, pass the name of my application, and it creates that infrastructure for me. And in a few commands, I can create the web app, set it up to deploy for my GitHub repo. And then from there I'm just checking in code and just doing the deployments through the CI pipeline. And for me, that's as a developer, regardless of what my my language of choice is, I think that that's really what I want to do is I just want to write the code. I want to check it in and have it deploy. Do you have any articles or like recordings of you and John doing demos that people can jump to? 
Yeah, John and I did a, a Pluralsight course, and it was you know, deploying an Angular app using uh, GitHub to Azure. Nice. And I can give you guys a, I'll give you a link to that for the show notes. And, and that shows exactly, not not using the CLI, but it does talk about how to kind of hook up an Azure web app instance to your GitHub repo for Angular apps. It's funny because I've talked to other you know, prominent Angular developers, and they go, I didn't even know you guys had that for Azure. You know, and I think that, again, is that barrier to entry uh, experience where they're saying, you mean all I need to do is check in my code and I can deploy something to Azure. I think that's a big benefit because that takes away the concept count and that comfort of uh, I have to worry about managing my server and doing all those other things that come with it and having it just deploy. So I think that's a that's a good experience for them, too. Very cool. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and answering all our questions because I do think people are going to be able to more easily jump onto it and be less intimidated by all of the power of Azure after this. So Yeah, sure. One other thing that I think is worth mentioning, too, is that a lot of this stuff integrates nicely with Visual Studio Code. And I know a lot of Angular developers are using that. So the, the Docker integration is there. You know, some of this other stuff fits nicely in there. Yeah, the there's a there's actually an Angular. I'm sorry, there's a Azure extension for VS Code that um, allows you to to push all of this stuff. And uh, Chris Dias from the from the VS Code team has done a couple of great videos and demos as a part of Build and some other uh, Microsoft events that shows how that happens. And there's obviously great uh, extensions for Angular to uh, Angular also to have that good experience along with the the Azure stuff. Now, one thing that I'm wondering about with this is that. Most of what we talked about either simplifies or eliminates a lot of the complications around the back end. Are, are there things that directly impact the way we write Angular on the front end? Or is, is that mostly what Azure is about? Is this, uh, you know, these back end solutions that just make life easier in those ways? Yeah, I think a lot of what uh, kind of what Ward was saying before is that, you know, I really don't have to worry about scaling my static site, right? The, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Angular for the most part is, you know, it's all front-end JavaScript. Once it's downloaded, it runs on my client, and I really don't have to worry about scaling it per se. But unless you're writing static websites, you've got to have some data getting it from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, having things like the serverless experience where you might be hitting databases, doing computations, working on, you know, triggers or web hooks from other uh, parts of your business. So something like Azure Function can listen for webhooks. So if you are working with something like Salesforce or uh, some other backend system you have, being able to aggregate those types of things inside of a, a serverless function, uh, that's a big benefit uh, to, to have that. Uh, obviously, there's the database offerings that are there to, to store your data. The web application platform just for hosting node applications or node APIs and building that backend infrastructure for you is uh, is also a big benefit. Just understanding how to uh, take advantage of what's there for from a scalability perspective in the offerings. And a lot of a lot of developers don't realize the the other things that are there. Again, as I said at the beginning of the show, there's this misnomer of you know Azure equals .NET, and uh, it's really not the case when it comes to all the things that are out there. Right. So, so Shane, if I don't know this whole world, is it free? How easy is it to get involved? I know it's not free, but I mean, how, you know, if I, I'm trying as a developer to figure out how whether this stuff's right for me, what's what's the right way to find out whether this stuff's right for me? 
Um, you can just go to you go to Azure.com and there's a, a, a try there's a try it free button, and you can do the free accounts and get started. If you have, as most enterprise developers probably already have an MSDN account is from some perspective, and they get a free number of credits, and it's anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty dollars a month to try out things. But uh, Azure Functions has a a try. If you just Google try Azure Functions, I'll I'll provide a link to the actual site, but we allow you to try the Azure Functions portal for free without an account as well to see what that experience is like. But you can sign up for a free account on Azure and look at the offerings that are there. We've got a number of free experiences from the web platform as well as if you want to deploy uh, sites to uh, app service and, and check that out too. And then also, if you the tutorials and walkthroughs, if you look at docs.microsoft.com, which is a fantastic experience when it comes to documentation, if you spend any time on the docs site, that team has been putting a ton of uh, energy into providing tutorials and walkthroughs for uh, almost any of the platforms as well as languages that are supported there. So I would definitely check out that as a resource. All right. Well, I think we're kind of to the point where we need to start wrapping up. So let's go ahead and get some picks. Are you ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams. They cover Angular 4 and 2 and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex, data-rich applications. They also still offer AngularJS for teams supporting older projects. Bring them to your site or send developers to them in St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, D.C., and other cities, and online at angularbootcamp.com. Joe, do you want to start us off with picks? That's a great question. I want to pick today John Papa. John's a great guy. He's a really nice guy. I like John. He's a handsome guy. Mostly I want to pick John because he produces a lot of really good content on Pluralsight. I was recently watching his course on the CLI for Angular, and it's a fantastic course. I've um, I've always been a fan of the content that he's produced, so I'm going to pick John and his Angular CLI course. I think it's a great course, and that's my pick today. Oh, I think I should also mention and pick uh, ng-doc, the unofficial documentation source for Angular. A lot of good re uh, articles going on on there, so I'll pick that as well. NGDoc.io. All right. Ward, do you have some picks for us? Well, I have one that's related to what Shane was talking about. You know, I had seen some sort of demos of functions, Azure functions, and it all seemed, you know, I could sort of visualize how I might use it. But one of the most compelling things I, I have seen and read that really gave me an insight into how useful this could be was Troy Hunt's Azure Functions in Practice. Now, you may not know Troy Hunt, but he's one of the um, uh, the, the world's best explicators and implementers of security practices for the um, for servers, for the web and stuff. And so, and one of the things he's done is he has a site that really got under the skin of all the black hat hackers out there. So they try and knock that site down with DNS attacks, denial of service attacks. And he used uh, Azure Functions to guard that and just uh, slaughter all of these attacks, which was a very compelling story, a real-world story. And he described so well what he did, how he did it, and the effect it had in this Azure Functions in practice, 
article, and I have the link in our show notes. So run, don't walk to read that uh, article. Yeah, that was, that was a really cool article that he wrote. It was, it was really, really fantastic. I mean, he was doing stuff that I didn't realize that we could do with functions as well. Uh, my pick this week is going to be the serverless framework. It, you just NPM install serverless. I think you might have to make it global. But anyway, it, it makes it really easy to deploy stuff to Azure Functions or AWS Lambda or uh, Blue Mix. I can't remember what their functions equivalent is. You know, and they're all a little bit different. But anyway, it, it makes it really easy to get that stuff up there. And so, yeah, uh, I, I'm going to pick that. If you're curious, go check it out because it's awesome. Oh, I do have one other thing. I decided to extend Angular uh, remote conf into Angular Dev Summit. I'm going to make it a week long. We're going to have a few talks every day. Been talking to the Angular core team about this. So I'm hoping we'll have a few of those folks there. But anyway, the other thing that I did with it is I made it free. So if you want to come, you can come. I'm going to be reaching out to speakers here this week. We're going to do it in the middle of September. Yeah, hopefully we can uh, have some awesome talks and an online experience. There is going to be a paid option and it'll probably include things like the uh, downloading the videos and stuff like that. But uh, if you want to come and attend, it'll be free online. So go check it out at angulardevsummit.com. Shane, what are your picks? So my first pick is something I just got in the mail today, which is called a Kevo, K-E-V-O, which is a touch-to-open smart lock. Oh, cool. Um, so I'm uh, slowly, I uh, just moved into a new house, and I'm slowly automating things in my house. And uh, this is a works with your iPhone or uh, I guess maybe Android as well. But yeah, it gives uh, electronic locks and it uses um, easy, just touch the deadbolt. It also has a physical key as well. You touch the deadbolt and it unlocks it and has all the fun features of knowing when your door is unlocked and gives me notifications when the, the door is unlocked and I need to lock it. And works with Alexa and all those fun jive things. So that's one of the things that I will pick. And then the other thing was, uh, as we mentioned earlier, was the deploying Angular 2 app to Azure using Git. John and I's uh, play-by-play uh, Pluralsight course uh, as well. We had a lot of fun doing that one. And uh, looking at it was Angular 2. So um, we're very relevant to kind of this discussion that uh, we use today. And then finally, I would just make a quick call out again to docs.microsoft.com, which is where you can look uh, for all the resources related to um, the stuff we were talking about today. So, yeah. So I had one more bonus one because you brought up Alexa. I wanted to bring up <laughs> Alexa Silver for people who are moving into my. <laughs> yeah, one of the greatest products ever invented. And one of the things I just noticed as I was putting it in here is that it answers to Alyssa's name as well. So if she were, <laughs> if she were still on the, able to stay with us on the call, she could, uh, she could find that product for herself. That is funny. Thanks for that word. Oh, that's funny. I actually have talked to somebody who's building an Amazon Echo-like thing for older folks. So it's <laughs> it's funny, but it, you know. <laughs> anyway. Um, my mom no, totally needs that. I was, try- I was thinking about getting that for my mom just because, you know, she's old and she's losing her eyesight and to have, be able to, like, get her books and just have people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Alexa read books to her through the uh, Audible and stuff like that and get information. But it's, she's so, you know, my mom's like almost 80. So just interfacing, even with Alexa, as much as voice is better, would still be a challenge for her. So something detailed specifically to older people would actually be great. Yeah, well, John, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. John, <laughs> John, 
John was telling me a funny story that earlier today is he's got his Alexa close to, I got to talk quietly because I'm close to mine, but he's got it close to his TV and he was watching a TV show that one of the person's names was Alexa. And every time, obviously, the name was said, <laughs> she would say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, he started getting frustrated. He's like, I got to turn it off. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, one more thing that I think I'm going to add to your shout out about docs.microsoft.com. At Connect last year in November in New York City, we interviewed Dan Fernandez, who works on the Microsoft Docs. And yeah. if you if you want kind of the the back end story of how that all goes together and just the cool stuff that they're doing beyond basically a write up, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on there. So I highly recommend you go check out that interview as well. Yeah, that was a great one too. All right. Well, we will go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks for coming, Shane. Appreciate it, guys. All right. We will uh, catch Thanks. everyone next week. Peace out. Peace. Bye, all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>